This is Michael Shaw. And Michelle Walter. You're on This is the Climate Crisis. The big challenge for us now, uh, I believe, is fear. And so one of the things we want to quickly learn is how not to be afraid of fear and not be afraid of our own fear and helping people normalize their fear. Of course you're scared. Good grief, why would you not be? We have enough nuclear weapons to blow up at us a thousand times and, uh, and they're in the hands of people whom we don't trust. Uh, of course you're scared. The forests are disappearing. Our older kin, the species, we're just the youngest. They're all leaving us alone on this planet we've destroyed as they die off in the gazillions. Of course we are. So you go below the fear to recognize that uh, we're scared because we actually uh, love this life and don't want it taken from us. And we turn, so we turn to accept ourselves as uh, belonging to this earth and deserving to be here. That was the voice of Joanna Macy, one of the true elders and most beloved voices in the environmental movement. Joanna was there talking about one of the biggest inner issues we face with the climate crisis, which is facing our fear. And on today's show, we're talking about that and all of our emotional reactions to the climate crisis, once again with psychologist Dr. Amy Maxwell. Dr. Amy Maxwell is a practicing psychologist from Melbourne with a PhD in psychology and a degree in neuroscience. Amy is a professional member and moderator of Jem Bendel's Deep Adaptation Forum and is a friend of this program. I think sometimes most of us are wondering how to meet the sometimes devastating and traumatic issues around the climate changes without losing our minds. So here to help us in that task is Amy Maxwell. Welcome, Amy. Hello there, Michael and Michelle. It's nice to be here again. Yeah, it's great. Yes, so, it's great to have you on the show again. Mm, so we've got so many questions to ask you, and I, I guess one that I've got right off the bat um, is that normally, normally in disasters, there's an event, and we survive an event if we survive, and we can try to recover. And there's all these different um, modalities we can use, different therapies we can use to recover from an event, however horrible it is. But we live in an age now where there's an entirely new unprecedented form of threat, an ever-present, ever-growing threat to the biosphere and all that means for life. What do you think it means for us to be living in an elongated fear like that? What's it doing to us? There's two levels to that in my mind. Hmm. One, yes, the biosphere is undergoing a catastrophe at the moment that will have, you know, big demonstrable effects on our lives and already is. And two, really what we're looking at are these big interconnected networks, yeah. aren't we? Well, really realising fully for the first time how very interconnected it actually is yes. and how dependent on it we are. Mm, and mm. maybe the idea of this 
thing coming for us. It's always been coming for us. Mm. Are we not facing our own deaths every day that we wake up? We are, but yes. not with it like smacked in your face yes. all the time. Exactly. Not with your neighbours on fire. Yes, that's yes, ex- exactly. I think, think that's part of the issue is that it does seem to be getting closer and it's an ever-growing ever threat. I really like what Ziha Woodbury talked about. Um, in naming it climate trauma, that we're now facing an unprecedented new form of trauma that is actually there always in the background, whether we're denying it and trying to push it away or whether we're actually in terror of it, it's sitting there in the collective. I think that's exactly right, that that we are we are bathed in this all the time at the mm. moment. Mm. Mm. And and we always have been because mm-hmm. we've always been in the world the way it is, mm-hmm. but it just hasn't thrown as many things at us as once. Mm-hmm. And usually when people have a disaster, usually, um, mostly, they bounce back. Mm-hmm. They bounce back to where they were. So we, we've got an easier way. We're, we're primed yeah. to be able to endure big hardships Mm. and then psychologically and physically bounce back Mm. but it relies on the environment being able to support us like there's got to be something to bounce back to right Mm. yeah it's like Mm. we're bouncing down lower levels of trampolines every Mm. time and we're bouncing down we're sort of bouncing down a hill towards the end yeah Which Which is is really scary. It's scary to live with that knowledge that with each new milestone that we pass, we know that things are actually getting worse. Mm. And I think that wears heavy on the psyche. Mm. One of the things I read with Woodbury's article, which I found quite fascinating, was that living with that, you know, what they call the superordinate trauma, that background collective trauma, it triggers off our individual and personal traumas. And I'm very curious about that, and I'm wondering, as a psychologist, if you could explain why that's so. And what does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose what he's getting at there Mm. is the idea that people who are already susceptible will more easily become affected. Mm -hmm. And we see that replicated biologically as well as psychologically, yeah? So the vulnerable are those that get the flus first, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the same. If people's brains have had a time of practicing anxiety or practicing depression not on purpose practicing but the brain if it's Mm. doing that for long enough has practiced a way of being yeah Mm. then when things occur that put one into a state of sadness or of fear Mm. their brain has so much extra information to add on to it so more, yeah, more reasons to be depressed, more reasons to be more anxious. More reasons, mm. yeah. And when we are feeling depressed and anxious, our brains make predictions of errors about the future on purpose mm. to try and protect us from things. So our brains try and tell us all the bad things that are going to happen and all the ways we're going to fail or be hurt. Mm. And that's, that's a, a usual normal survival mechanism. But in this time, uh, the the... the, the the, the rumination that we commonly see in people who are anxious or depressed is often irregular and not evidence-based in their real lives. And now this one is. It makes need- me wonder, mm. is it really anxiety? Yes. Is it really yes. depression? Or is yes. it actually just knowledge? Yes, yeah. yes. It's a, it's a very fine line, isn't it? And um, yeah. I mean, I'm just wondering, could it also be when you were saying, you, you know, the mind goes forward and makes up the worst possible evidence for the future, right? Could it also be that this is now transferred to where people go the opposite way and think everything's fine? They go into the future and go, no, no, it's all, this isn't really happening. 
Yeah, work. I'm not sure that they think it's fine, yes. the future, but they definitely do the la-la-la-la with my hands over my ears yes. or my head in the sand yes. or I'll just busy myself over here yes. and I won't pay very much attention to that. And we do that regularly and reliably and mm. usefully mm. as humans. That's mm. one of the excellent ways we get through life. This mm. one is definitely, this situation, right, is definitely a place where people who are familiar with that as a coping mechanism will use it again. Unless you're aware of what's going on and you're noticing and you're working purposefully towards understanding yes. things differently and mm. to feeling or flowing with your emotions differently. Mm. I think that's really important here specifically is, is recognising, allowing, investigating and nurturing um, emotional responses with, with the idea that just like the weather, everything changes. So, yes, you may be feeling intense distress right now. And, yes, your mind may be chattering onto you about how terrible everything is. But if you can breathe into it and breathe in that suffering and try and breathe out love and peace and compassion, you can ride it. You can weather it. Tell me that you've seen this place. Tell me that you can relate Please just say talking about climate trauma are often labelled as traumatised or alarmist um, and historically it's taken us a long time to recognise what is traumatic. I mean it wasn't until the 1980s that we even really recognised that war, being involved with a war was traumatic and then PTSD was um, added to the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistic Manual. Um, I'm wondering if we're doing the same thing with climate trauma. Yeah, it's an interesting idea, isn't it? One that it took us so long to just recognise that things that disturbed and shocked and horrified people would actually have a lasting impact on them. Yes. And mm. two, that we would be denying that this is doing that. Mm. Yes. Of course it is. Mm. Yeah. Like how could it not be having an impact on us all? Uh, maybe when we sometimes when we label people as traumatised, we also then discount their views and I think that feeds into the idea of being then decried an alarmist mm -hmm. um, and that, that maybe is purposeful maybe it's not I'm not sure mm. that but certainly I see that happening around pretty regularly and it's 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 sort of I mean yeah. uh, generally we sort of do that don't we when people are really mm. traumatized we don't take their predictions seriously we, we do have an inbuilt sort of way of behaving that is to soothe the traumatised person and mm. put them f f fears at ease and mm. tell them everything's going to be okay. And 
I mean, often whenever there's trauma, there's there's denial, and it's like when yeah. people first started coming out with sexual abuse cases, like everyone was that was a bit too much, and if they were upset about it or hysterical about it, God forbid, then that we really have to clamp it down and deny it, and it's sort of a double trauma. Then, so if you're really affected by the climate crisis and people find it too much and they're trying to silence you or uh, dampen it down or it'll be okay, it's that that sense of being really trapped inside yourself with this message that is true, you know, uh, and backed up, but not really uh, being validated. Yeah, or acted on with the, uh, the speed that it would seem to need to mm. be acted on. Mm. I, it, it's it's remarkable, and it is. It's a double dissonance at that point in time. Mm. You're both experiencing the world as different to everybody else, and mm. you know you're sane, and mm. they're all, not they all, but, you know, that there's this large portion that are just saying, nope, that's not reality. Mm. So you're being gaslighted mm. that's by right. other yes. humans. Yes. And by the government. Constantly. Yeah. And, and by, by the, the government. government. I love that term, gaslighted, because I think that is very true. And even David Ritter, the head of Greenpeace, used that to talk about how the government is responding to um, the climate crisis. But I'm also, just for our listeners, I wonder if you could share what is a, uh, what gaslighting is and what's the impact yes, of being yes, gaslighted. Yes, please. So gaslighting is what a person does to another person or a group of people do to another group of people that is essentially the denying of the reality. So, for instance... You might find um, an empty cheese packet in the bin mm. and you knew you didn't buy any cheese and so you asked somebody in your house about that packet of empty thing in the bin, right? Mm. And those people or one person, whoever it is that's doing it to you, denies the existence of the wrapper. Okay. Right. Says it's not there. So what are you talking about? You didn't, you didn't find a there. wrapper in the bin. Exactly. That didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. That wasn't real. You're making it up. You must have dreamt it. And what happens to that person who saw the rapper? They slowly go crazy, <sighs> basically, because mm. you, you are having your sanity uh, doubted and put into a something's wrong with you box mm. as a matter of course in daily life. It happens in domestic violence yes. mm. a fair bit of the time. Yes. Um, uh, commonly for the perpetrator of domestic violence mm. to, to gaslight the um, other person mm. into not really believing how bad things are, especially. Mm. So this is a bit like Trump in his speech um, a week or so ago um, at Davos when he was saying America was having a blue-collar boom when it's not having a blue-collar boom. That is not what's happening in America. So he comes out and he says it's this when it isn't that. Is that that's the type of thing, right? Yeah, exactly yeah. that type of thing. Blatant lies yeah. about the state of the world that yeah. if you inspect the evidence, if there is any that other people can see, show them up on the face of it. Trump is a perfect example and he's been doing it to the American public for as long as he's been in business. I mean, I'm, I'm curious about then the, the support that Trump gets. Or, and the support that um, the Liberals get in this country with an anti-climate policy. Because is there a way, if you gaslight people, that you <laughs> somehow trance them into, you know, what is it, the Stockholm Syndrome, where people will support you? If you gaslight them enough, people will then come totally. around on your side. Is there, is there is something like that? Totally. Yeah. Like, that's completely what's happening with us at the moment. The, the Murdoch media 
is running a story about our world that is not true. And their readership is like 53% of Australia. So that's a mass of people to be pulling along with a level of obfuscation and trickery. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I think there's definitely what's, uh, it's purposeful. I'm not, I don't. Um, I think. I don't think there's very many evil people in the world, right? Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a lot of people who are very much more interested in their self and self-interest yeah. than they are in mm-hmm. other interests. Mm-hmm. This crisis at the moment leads us neurobiologically mm-hmm. to prioritise our self-interest. personal example of something that happened to me the other night, which is, you know, one of the things that I've realised that goes on for me in this time is a lot of political anger. Now, I don't want to talk about politics per se, just leave the politics out of it. I'm much more involved and much more affected by politics on a global scale than I was here and here and uh, you know, internationally. But what happens now, like as a kid, I vague kind of interest in politics but for instance on the Q&A the other night um, uh, when Jim Milan you know basically said well he doesn't have any, have any evidence for his position right I just had this rage I had something like despair and rage and that it was that's not really like me to do that around politics and I and I you know I did wonder well is is that kind of reaction a part of this or is it a legitimate response to sort of outright ignorance? You know, it's a question. I understand the anger that you're talking about and that instantaneous sort of surge of... Yes. What the actual hell? Yes, yes. Is that a person who's running our country? Yes. Why is there a person who's running our country who doesn't rely on evidence? What, yes. What? 
uh, there's this moment of dissonance, isn't it? It's cognitive dissonance around the world we thought we lived in. And I think what's scary about that is because the climate crisis is a collective trauma, yes. it's not an individual trauma mm. or just a little community trauma. So if someone is going to take that perspective, you say that's just self-interested, um, and particularly if they're in a position of power like Trump or politicians, it actually brings up a lot of fear in me to think, God, I'm in this boat, this this collective trauma, this climate crisis boat with these individuals who are kind of steering it and their responses and attitudes actually are going to impact me. I can't just do my own thing. Yeah. It's a global crisis. So what America does is going to affect New Zealand. We, we can't actually get away from that interconnectedness of it. So I find that really distressing. Um, I would say go dialectic with that, which is to take the opposite action. So when we're feeling helpless, be helpful. Mm. Do something. When you feel like doing nothing, mm. do something, do anything. It doesn't like matter radio what it is. Show. <laughs> the thing is, right, your brain and your body want you to do something. Yes. We are all in the quadrant of unpleasant and activated. Mm. So yes, your yes. brain reads your systems really quite crudely mm. and anxiety lives unpleasantly activated and mm. the instruction there the old 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 instruction is do something and it doesn't actually matter what the thing is mm. Mm. brain's going to try and give you a whole heap of solutions like mm. we talked before mm. some of those will be useful coping mechanisms others won't be if you want to shift your fear and shift your hopelessness and shift your helplessness you can only really do that through opposite actions mm -hmm. Mm. so find ways to actually be helpful so yes. with the helplessness to take action and with fear, yeah. what would be your antidote there? My antidote with fear. Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because when something keeps on being scary, we tend to sort of normalise the fears. They tend to become normalised anyway. So uh, the media was big on telling us about the bushfire dangers when we we're having that heat wave and everything was really terrible over the New Year period. Um, but it's recently been very terrible around Canberra and the same level of attention wasn't paid. So it's already become part of our sort of story of normal. So some parts of our fears will just abate mm. as we get more used yes. to what's going on. The, the, the idea with that is, is as we get more used to this being a frequency, as we get used to this being our daily life, we won't be so horrified at each individual event, but what will happen is we'll homeostatically be raised up a level in our cortisol and our stress responses. Yes, so yes, what we yes. have to do then is make sure to put times for down regulation okay. into your day every day on purpose. Mm, mm, that's so fantastic. when I say down regulation, yeah. I mean actually make your parasympathetic nervous system turn on for a little while or yes. find a place in your active response where you are discharging stress hormones so you do that through exercise through yoga through meditation through running through climbing yeah. trees yeah. through playing with your children what, whatever it is that is for you that induces a sort of sense of flow and a discharge of body energy or a centering of body energy and also know there is a safe place to come back to wherever we are right here right now yeah, if mm. your right now is not actually in danger, this mm. is a safe place. Mm. And reminding yourself of that is really important. When mm. we zoom up and out, we have to remember to zoom back in and down. Mm. Ground. Mm. I mean, obviously, unless something's threatening you right then and there. But if it's not, 
then your brain is having a reaction. And it's okay for your brain to have that reaction, but it's not all there is. Right now, I'm sitting on my couch and I'm watching a bird pick at the leaves on the eucalyptus tree outside mm. one of the windows. I am safe. You're safe. Yes, okay, this, this, that's a whole lot of really great suggestions, Amy, and thank you for your reflections, and certainly um, as this issue heats up, which unfortunately, literally and uh, internally it's going to, there's going to be more and more of a need to talk about this kind of thing with people. So thank you, Amy. From my centre, at the centre of me, please let me